Hi, I'm Dan Higgerson, and welcome to a very spontaneous episode of the Idle Hand Society podcast. I'm joined today by Paul Bentz. Good afternoon. And Ed Thompson. Hello. There we go. Oh, yeah, this is a bit awkward because we're actually just sat here really impromptu with like two microphones, even though there's three of us. Um, and we just, uh, in fact, no, I'm not going to spoil the surprise. You'll see it because it will probably come out about 16 months before this podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> mate, we're not productive at no, all, no, let's no. be honest. I mean, honestly, like, we're, our podcast is the pod that only happens occasionally, right? Yes. It's, it's like, it's, it's kind of when we're, when we're, when we're, when we're busy, it dips, dips away. And when we're quiet, it comes back like a tree. So you can always know if we're quiet because yeah, yeah. we're making shows. Yeah, if we're not working. There's no podcasts. consistency to us. There's no, there's no consistency in quality, in, in volume of stuff coming out. Yeah, we're like the English rugby team, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Wales are doing really good, right? You were telling me earlier. That... Yeah, yeah, we just demolished Australia. There's, there's talk of it coming home. It's coming home. Harith, <laughs> <laughs> uh, right? Harith. 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 Yes. It, it, it doesn't translate into English, but it's Harith is a Welsh word, it means longing for home. You know, that place. Which is funny because, like, so few Welsh people, like, ever leave Wales. True. It's, it's really... like a common thing. And the weirdest thing is over the Swansea train station, there's a sign that says, Welcome to Swansea, the graveyard of ambition. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. And like, and that's why I think the Welsh, I joked about the Welsh mafia earlier, but that's the thing is lots of Welsh people, if they can leave, they often are quite successful because yeah. the first test is leaving utopia. Like you have to leave utopia. Uh, and it, it's a strange thing as well, because once you've been out of Wales for um, a period of time and you go back, all, I, I, all of your friends and family, because it like, you know, you maybe go three or four times a year, every time you go back, it feels like everybody's aging much quicker than you. It's a weird, it's a weird thing. Like you just notice people. It's because it just is life harder though. Like life's harder <laughs> in the valleys. I don't know that it's hard. There's a lot more keeping up with the Joneses there. Yeah. And there is a right. community. They're quite, they're... they're quite like that. You know what I mean? They are the Welsh. They are. Going, what was your license plate in yeah. your car? Okay. You know, there's a lot of that going on. Yeah. I, must, I must stress you out. Even if you keep up, it must on some level stress you out. Right? Okay. Okay. It, yeah, it's, it's, it's dangerous there. It's a dangerous place. You've got to be on your guard. You're going to be on your guard. Yeah. Are you, Why you, is it you, dangerous? Uh, what are you talking about? Crime? Or dragons? Dragons. Dragons, dragons. <laughs> dragons and elves. And Dan Wood. Dan Wood, he can come yeah, out with Dan a mallet yeah, yeah, and yeah, whack yeah. you on just, the head. Just I believe here. they're called cunning folk. I thought you were going to say something else, Dan, Ed, for a second. <laughs> <laughs> <Cunning folk. laughs> so what have you been up to, Daniel? Tell us. You, you, you went back to school yesterday, didn't you, for the first time? Yeah, day? I'm back at big school now. I'm back at big school. I had my first day yesterday. Um, my mum made me a little pack lunch. Just saw me out the house. You know, did you have a Superman pack lunch? Superman. Those, yeah, Spider- I was wearing Spider-Man face mask. You're at university, aren't you, Dad? For those listeners who are, <laughs> you are at university in your yeah. second year. Yeah, second year now. Um, Can you believe that you've done a whole year and you're starting year two? I know, right? And look at the state of me. I'm only 21. It's a hard life, mate. The beard does age you. The yeah. beard, it's where it's, I carry it's that mixture of ginger and grey. It's like a, it's like mine is black and grey. I luckily don't have any ginger. But, I'm, I'm like Hercules. It's where I carry <laughs> my stress. Oh, because we've got a lecturer here. Let's ask him about artificial intelligence. Oh, come on, right. What, what do we think? Twenty years from now, such a left turn. I'm just yeah, gonna, I'm just gonna. Pop 20, that 20 years from now, um, will we still exist? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe we're AI already. Maybe we're AI. Well, right I now. think we are. Maybe this, this is, is this yeah. isn't real, right? Maybe my, my it, I do feel like sometimes my my intelligence is artificial. 
Mine definitely is because the second I need to do anything whatsoever, I have to look at some kind of a screen to get a correct answer. I, I don't know what I'm doing day to day without the help of some kind of technology. I was thinking, how did they, like, imagine, like, you know, you wanted to fix a pipe or, you know, you've got a leaky toilet and you go on YouTube and it says, you know, that you can follow these things. How, how did they do that 40 years ago? Did they just have to bring somebody over, like, there's a man? Yeah, a real man. <laughs> you call a real man. <laughs> well, the other thing is, is like, you know, fixing a car of a Haynes manual versus fixing a car, watching someone fixing a car, it depends on how you learn, you see, because everyone has different ways of learning. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, you know. What are you, so, are you anyway, a visual learner? Sure. AI. Bringing it back. Yes. I wasn't so worried at first when it first appeared because it was so crap and yeah. fingers look rubbish, whatever. But that was six months ago. And now the fingers look great. I just heard like Freddie Mercury sing a System of a Down song, all generated by AI, and it sounded okay. And the thing is, it's just going to get better and better. And one thing is right, and you guys must feel this as well, when you're like a street photographer or a documentary photographer or a photojournalist, it has felt for a long time you're like, you know, you're kind of lowest on the photographic food chain for a long time. Like the commercial photographers, the advertising photographers, the fashion photographers, there's always been a lot more kind of focus on money. And the one thing I really do feel strongly about is, is that AI is just going to swoop and it will decimate a lot of commercial photography, but people will always want to see what really happened. So that's something that I hope will happen because... You can generate an image for the burger. You can generate an image for the model. You can generate the car. But if something happens down your street and it's spot news or if something goes on in the real world, like a child's graduation or whatever, like people want to see what really happened. It makes it more important in a way, doesn't it, what we do? More than less important. It just makes it more... I think it become more and more important in terms of, you know, the... I don't want to say truth in photography, but I, do you know what I mean? The... the the how do you how do I frame it? The how an image exists and the validity of that image within news within media that because everything at this moment in time is is it can be manipulated and faked. That having something that is real, at least really, somebody a man has taken a photo of something is going to have more value. I think. But then the other problem is is that you won't know. Like films will be made, whole feature films will be made. And people watching them won't have a clue. It's AI. They just won't have a clue. And it probably won't matter to most people. Let's face it, because lots of people do watch crap television and crap films and they love it and it won't matter to them. The thing that I'm thinking is, is there, there might have to be some kind of weird agreement where even news organisations or even photographers, like, let's face it, remember when Photoshop came out? Well, not quite, but do you remember? Mm-hmm. And everyone was just going nuts and you could do crazy shit at Photoshop and you realise quite early on as a young photographer, maybe you don't do everything in Photoshop on your photos because it looks <laughs> gack, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll have to impose some structure and say, I am a photographer and I do not use AI or this is a real photograph and this is not generated and somehow there'll have to be some kind of brand or like an insignia or something. I don't know, man, because otherwise it's just going to get really nuts and also on a geopolitical level, really freaking dangerous. Yeah, really dangerous. Because quite easily there'll be a photo of, oh, look, the bombers have come in. Oh, here's the video of the bombers coming in. You've got to attack the country now. It's like, oh my God, you know, so this is scary. Do you think, I, I, I suspect I know what the... Sorry, we're changing mics around. Um, I I think the next big thing in terms of danger for knowing what's real and what isn't is, is AI being able to generate a raw file. Because right now, if something happens and there's a photograph of it, somebody can demand, oh, I want to see the raw file. And then you'll know it's legit because right now AI just gives you JPEGs. But the second AI can just give you a full raw file of 
some make-believe scene. Midjourney.raw, right? So it's like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's it. We're fucked, right? I, I don't know. I, I, we've had this conversation before, Paul, right? We did, uh, we've probably done like two episodes now on AI. I still think it's just another medium. The way that the painters and the illustrators and uh, those professions looked at photography when that must have been picking up is probably the same way as where us as photographers looking at AI now. I mean, photography exists in, in so many forms, like all around us. Your, your speed cameras, CCTV, you know, you go into a shop, your picture is constantly taken, especially in big cities, right? Yeah. yeah. You're, you're constantly under surveillance. And we've kind of got used to it. And we kind of, it's almost like we've, we've kind of let it slip by in a way. Like it's just happened around us. And, and, you know, there, there is, we become a bit like China where, you know, they have these cameras at football matches and they can, they can pick out, you know, people who've caused trouble in past. And I don't know, it just, it just feels a bit like it's gone that step too far in, in that case for me. Like how, how, where do we draw the line and how do we, how do we decipher? How do we even, how, how do we, how are we doing? Do we though? Is the genie just out of the bottle? Will it be like vinyl records, you know, having a comeback? Will, will the like real photography be more important because it's, you know, and will film photography, analog photography, maybe even more of a renaissance? I'll tell you what's going to happen, right? A lot of Go photographers, on, a lot of photographers who, well, not photographers, they call themselves artists. A lot of artists who use the photographic medium, I will have a feeling they'll jump ship straight away. And as I forget the name of the photographer, there's one guy who's already done it, generating images of New York. And you could just see that in generally in like the more kind of, you know, in the art world, new is always better because it's so tied to capitalism. So the minute some new medium or new technique comes along, they want to just run to do it because immediately they can set themselves apart. They jump on a bandwagon. It's a nice way of kind of saying, oh, look, I'm on this new thing. I'm cutting edge. And, you know, photography is hard. Photography is hard. And if you've got the profile, if you're an artist and you just can type some prompts and make an image and that's going to work for you still and they're going to buy it, they're probably just going to do that. So I'd say a lot of people are going to jump ship, but a lot of photographers will be like, well, no, this is what I do. So in a way, it could be good because it's like, you know what, man, we knew you weren't a photographer. Off you, off you draw. <laughs> so I, I going totally off on a Ben's tangent here because something I read about how photographers are selling books on. I read it on some forum I was reading today and a guy, a guy said he hadn't sold any, he'd sold about five or six and then he used WhatsApp channels and he posted to this thing called WhatsApp for all your friends and he said, I'm selling my book and he sold like 60 by just going to everybody in his phone book and posting. So that, that, that was it. I don't know why I brought that up then but it was just something that came into my brain and I was just thinking again, like to, to shift to shift bodies of work which people, you know, if you, even if you make small runs, being able to get rid of them is is the hard thing, right? So it's just another really cool do little... You, well, do you remember, like, a year ago with the... God, what was it? Um, the stupid little acronym. For, it was like Bitcoin R. NFTs. Oh, NFTs. Where the fuck did that go? Right? Yeah. We, we haven't... They've died, didn't they? It's completely died. It's completely... It was... It was, it was yeah, it completely died. And And... You know, most people, a lot of photographers were saying they're going to die. A this lot is of it. big photographers jumped, jumped in. I'm not going to embarrass anyone, yeah. but I saw on Twitter a lot of people. No, me too. Me too. And, know, and absolutely. was like, oh, okay, that's I'm, okay, here we go. And it, 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 it just felt wrong, didn't it? Didn't it just felt wrong? It felt it felt dirty almost in a way, like to me. I, 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 I don't think, it just went over my head. It passed me by. I might be at that age now where I'm not paying enough attention to that sort of stuff, where it just passes me by. Like, there's whole generations of technology that will come out that my dad has no idea about. Yeah, but are you on Twitter? 
No. See, that's the thing. It's because I was on Twitter, I was drowning in photo NFTs, NFTs, whatever. Every person who could follow you seemed to have ETH at the end of their name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. That, that's why I was aware very early on was there was such a, you know, such a push on Twitter for, for that as a thing that obviously I couldn't help but be aware of. I mean, I, interesting question for you because you're a lecturer. You've, you've lectured for the last odd 10 odd years. If, if like... Like, as a student, I'm a student as well, so, I mean, it's probably... Like, I, I worry that, like, you come out of university with a degree in photography and you still... Do you, do you still think you have an, any idea of how you are prepared to go out into the world and find a job? Like, well, the thing in, in HE, it was always the buzzword they call professional practice, and okay. I think units about professional practice. And the hardest thing of teaching, say, a BA degree group and BA photography degree group is like there's just so many um, different things you could do. So many different things you could do. Yeah, <laughs> I, just I know, it's nice something. Yeah, it's like music. Oh, God. Right. So, yeah, so, like, you know, there's so many different avenues and things. I mean, I had an idea for a show on my, my little, my YouTube channel, Segway. What was it called? Pictures no. on my mind. Pictures what, on my mind. What, what? Pictures what? on my mind. Pictures on my mind. Pictures on my mind. Is it pictures on your it's mind? It's a system of a down reference that I can't do because I can't play the song because I'm not allowed. But anyway, but the point is, is that... I had this idea of doing this fictional map, like Lord of the Rings or whatever, like Middle Earth, but it was going to be all the different commercial sort of schools of photography, all the different jobs, and how they're like. So I was a holiday camp photographer, a job I got at the job centre, right, photographing kids sitting on the knee of the giant rabbit. But at the far end now, like, I do a lot of work for, like, Bill Gates at events, and essentially, it's like the same school of photography. It's event photography. Yeah. And whether I'm photographing, at a ho- like, a holiday camp in a trailer park home place, or I'm photographing like an amazing, like really high top end event, it's still event photography. I'd argue also wedding photography is like an event. So I was, tr- I was thinking about making a map, mm. literally a physical map and showing where there are like places that are linked. And everywhere ends at event photography. Well, not really, but you know, there's portraiture, but then there's fashion photography, but then there's like commercial portraiture and then there's editorial. And I was going to try and, Yeah, lifestyle. And then there's like, oh, still. well, you like still life? Well, that's food photography, but it also could be commercial advertising. And I thought it's a bit of a web in my head at the moment. But I, I, it's I'd one be of my interested ideas. if you draw that map, right? Yeah. Uh, which bits of that map do you think will be taken over by AI? Which oh, will... A lot, man. A lot, a lot of it, right? A huge amount. What we all really want to know is where is the where are the expensive parts? Where's of town? the gaps? Where's the gaps where you can, <laughs> yeah, yeah. can still carve out there a niche? There are no gaps. <laughs> where's the gap where you can well, the thing is, right? Realistically, you know, my whole thing has been I've just you know it's terrible, but diversified. Like I've never turned down a job, and I've had people ask me to do food photography or portraiture or photograph like a kid who's just graduated or shoot a wedding or a PR event where they're launching like a line of nail varnish or whatever. Like, do you know what I mean? I've literally done thousands and thousands of jobs and I've never turned down a job. And that's how I survived. And I've heard other photographers being interviewed where like, or if I was asked to photograph someone like a famous person, I would say, no, I'd be happy just to work in a bar. And that's actually quite a well-known photographer said that. And I was just like, why would you not do that? I don't know, man. I, like... I think there's something amazing about, like, you, you, it's almost like a creative challenge, isn't it? Like, you, each of them is a small puzzle you're solving on the ad hoc as on the fly. Well, usually. the tragedy for me, man, is like, I'm like a freaking unpopular jazz musician and that the genre I trained, trained in, like documentary photography, commercially just doesn't really exist. Yeah, it hasn't yeah. existed, like, my whole career. And I've always had to find ways of, those skills that I've learned, which are really super transferable to cover lots of different events. But out of the thousands of assignments I've shot, I've probably had three or four where I was like, yeah, 
this is what I train for. Do you know this the, is what I'm good at. Do you know at. the print space? You heard the, the print yeah, space? Yeah. So I was reading, he wrote, he just wrote a piece about he, what he doesn't understand about creatives. He said they'll, they'll spend so many years honing their career, learning their art. And then when it comes to marketing their own work, it's like it's an afterthought. And they, they don't, like, they should do a degree in marketing rather than a degree in photography, right? Because there's something about you, if you become an expert marketer, that's so beneficial to how you market just sell your work, right? It gives you all of those skills that enable you to go out into the world and, you know, you can add Google AdWords, whatever, like social media, and how all of those things sit together, how you create a schedule, how all of that fucking shit works. But, you know, you've only got so many hours in the day, right? And so, like, to go and do a market... But I, I think there's something in that. I think, I think the one thing that was so hard for me, like, when I was full freelancing 13 years, was the thought that I would spend three days hunting for work phoning like 300 people over three days and not getting any bites. And that as a freelancer, so much of your job, for me anyway, was just trying to get Fine work. work and that was the horror show. And anyway, it's obviously very different. I think class is a huge thing that people don't talk about. Because obviously, if you know loads of people who are kind of in, very, in better jobs and bigger companies and you, they find out you're a photographer, suddenly you get work thrown at you. What if you don't? You know, and I think for me, it's like the whole thing of like holiday camp photographer or job centre holiday camp photographer, weddings with friends, PR, whatever. It's been a long road for me. And the hard thing is when a lot of young photographers be like, hey, Ed, how do I do it? And I was like, dude, like, you know, I've been to the job centre. Like, I've got no real answers for you. Also, you've got to be careful of advice is that the way people made it 20 years ago is not necessarily no, the way kids are going to make it I, now. Something so. about you asked earlier about the, po- the portfolio and how important and how things... I'd, like again, I would you argue that it, I would? You know. Can we just recap the question because that was definitely off of we we that was a conversation. Sorry, we're swapping mics again. That was a conversation we had before uh, we hit record. So my question was to Ed: I would love to see an episode where of pictures where, on your mind of pictures on your mind, the amazing YouTube channel that everyone should go and check out and subscribe to. Um, hit the bell icon to be notified when a new episode comes out. I would love to see an episode of Pictures on My Mind about curating a portfolio and how, depending on what style of work you're looking for, that portfolio might be different. I mean, the hardest thing in the beginning is is that you simply don't have the work. Like, I remember starting out and I'd be like, or maybe I've got a few photos I can show I could do this. And wait, wait, here's the horrible thing. Years later, I heard of other photographers where they'd just send the client photos they found on Google. They'd just be like making, almost like making a mood board, being like, oh, these are the photos, the kind of thing you're going to get. And they did that. I've never done that. Let's, never let's, that let's, imagine, let's imagine that there is, um, we're doing it the right way. Okay, we're not going to cheat. We're not going to send AI images. We're not going to send like somebody else's work. We're not, we're not doing any of that stuff. Let's imagine that we've already got some work that we're happy with, that we want to show. Let, let's even imagine that somebody's got some pretty decent work that they're happy to show. How do you then go through, let's say, a quarter of a million photos yeah. and pull together the stuff that is going to land gigs? That's, that's the, that's well, the, the way, question. Traditionally, the way I would have done it was that, I mean, obviously it's the harder sell, but just to give an example, let's say you're a wedding photographer and you go to this old guy's wedding photography website who's done it 40 years and you see, yeah, maybe 50 good photos, but you think, man, they're 50 good photos. That took that guy 50 years to do. So when I did weddings, what I did was I gave examples of weddings. So my portfolio is maybe like a dozen different weddings, but like a showcase of each wedding, like the best 20 photos. And I think for certain clients, let's say it was events, you, you could show them the zingers of each event that you've done, the best one, or you could be a bit more sensible, maybe in a way, and show them like an overview of, of 
like an event so they could see what they could get. The hard part is, remember, we are down the rabbit hole with photography and maybe normal mortal human people who aren't obsessed with photography don't give a shit that it was taken at the same event. They just want to see sing, singing singles from your best photos. Uh, so. From my perspective, it, it, like we tried, I like... We tried, we shot so much, again, like you did, did so, such a varied body of work from events to weddings to commercial advertising to, you know, everything, everything and anything. And then when you tried to put, we were building a website, I'm like, what are we going to put on the website? It was really difficult. It was painful almost. But after now, 20 years later, I can tell you that now, I think you you pitch, when you, when you pitch for a, a job, for instance, the... The images are adapted to fit the pitch, right? So your portfolio is adapted to fit each individual client and each individual job in a way. And I think like that's... Yeah, it, and you have lots of them. You have Maybe you have a lifestyle portfolio, you have a, a wedding portfolio, if that's what you do, or you have a, you have a portrait portfolio. And they're not... Because I think once you mix all that together, it looks... It, it, it lessens each each of them, I think. And so well, it, Right now on my website, I just stuck up, I've got literally portraiture and reportage and they're the two things that I do really well and that's it mm-hmm. so even though there's loads of other work that I've done I just feel like my best chance of getting some work via the site would be people seeing what I as, do as, and this has been an argument for years right so the, the master of all and you know what is, what's that saying you know and if it's something I don't know if it's I, I think in our that world that's bullshit really because you need to be able to, all of those different skills that you learn at each of the different types of photography, they all come together to make you a better photographer, fundamentally, because every every skill that you pick up, so, you know, from... I think that... I, I don't know, though. Like, here, look, I've got another... No, 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 let's not keep right, doing that. Let's see past the hat. Yeah, let, let, right. this is going to be much easier. Sorry. Just, just, just a peek, just a peek behind the, the curtain. The episode, yeah, I'm literally sticking a microphone to a hat. We're just going to pass it back and forth. Um... Where was I? Yeah. So I think you're right. As a photographer, you need to have all those skills. You need to have a diverse range of skills where you, one minute you can be a product photographer, the next you're doing purely reportage stuff, the next you're doing portraits. Like, I get it, right? As a photographer, that's that's the trick. But the, the, the thing is, is the photographers aren't hiring you, right? The people hiring you don't give a fuck what they want to see is what they're hiring you for. So if it's something like a wedding, they only want to see weddings. Yeah. And they, that's, they don't... that's the trick as well is ultimately um, one of the big issues of this is that you can probably cover everything. And, right. you know, I had that advice from a really slimeball agent when I was in my mid-20s, like, oh, Ed, you've got all these different portfolios on your website. There's music, bands, portrait, personal, track, whatever. You need to fit, pick one and focus on it. And although he ripped off one of my ideas and gave it to one of his photographers and pitched it to the magazine, I told him I wanted to help pitching it to he gave me some good advice and I said, right, well, I'm a documentary photographer. And at that point, my career did start to like gain some momentum because I branded myself. And at that, people then like that. People who hire you don't want to hear you can do it all. But the truth is, is that if you're a good photographer, you really can, you you can. But for people to hire you, they do want to have that specialization just because they feel more, um, they they trust you more because a lot of this is the one thing this person does. Whereas in reality, dude, like, you know, you can probably. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I, I've literally just given this advice to uh, a lady that uh, is on my university course, and she's obviously I'm like what five six years deep into professional. I don't know. I so can't you started think. when you were fifteen. <laughs> Mate, that was so quick that it took me a second to catch up. <laughs> yeah, he was like, he didn't work it out. Yeah, no, no, yeah, no, no, the penny yeah. dropped. It was like, Ka-chum. was there a moment of panic in my eyes? The cogs turned. Like, 
Oh, you made a reference to being 21. Yeah, no, no, you, I, I did. And no, no, yeah. So I was like 15 and just fresh faced out of school. And I did the same thing that we've all done, right? I had a million portfolios on my website. And I had like a little button for a page for each of the different things and whatever it was, music or whatever. And, and it's just, I, I didn't get any paid gigs. The reality was, is that I was a jack of all trades, right? I was putting myself out there as this person that has all these different skills and nobody gives a fuck. But the thing is, on a local level, that's fine. On a local level, that's fine. Because if you're just working on jobs locally and people get to know you because you're walking around with a camera and you say, oh, hi, yeah, I'm Dan. I'm a photographer, and then you might get some gigs, and that's that's okay. It's when if people haven't met you or don't know you, all they've got to go on is what you put out. And I love this. I said this recently. You need to niche down, right? Yeah, but also I said this recently where I love this thing. This weird thing is that you don't know who's watching because you know what, man. This wasn't always the way. The internet really helped to give me a career because if I just depended on being at the job center, or whatever, no one would have seen my work, right? Because it was online. Suddenly, for the first time ever, it didn't depend on you being allowed the meeting with the important editor. It didn't matter if they wouldn't see you because someone might see you. By having that work out, you know, you never know who's watching. And, you know, I don't know, it's a tricky one. Like, how do you, how can you quantify what website's better than another? How do you be an A-B test? I mean, should we make some fake websites now and just dump loads of work on one website? Yeah. I, mean, I mean, do you want to hear something really freaking crazy? When I was struggling to get in work like 12 years ago, I made my own fake photo agency called photoagency.london. And apart from one friend's work, which is wet plate work, all the other photographs were me. And I pretended it was like loads of other photographers, just all different styles. Because I figured like, if I'm going to approach companies, maybe if I approach a company from the guise of another company, it'll be better. It didn't work. It didn't, it didn't work. work at all. Do you think it would work now? I don't know. But if you go to if you go to um, Wayback Machine and type photoagency.london, you'll find it. Oh, I'm going to look for that. That's that's something I'm going to look at. But isn't that crazy? Like, how crazy was that? I mean, I must have been off out of my mind, you know? It's but like, it just but it just just shows you how desperate you were and how oh. hard it how hard it is to sustain, create, and and have longevity in this industry is almost impossible. And I I, I don't think I don't know how. Like when maybe I don't know maybe you do, but as a lecturer and, and you've got these young students coming through all the time, like do, do they actually the reality of how difficult it is to like that because it's fucking really hard and I don't think I, I I don't think it's said enough like how really fucking difficult it you, is. You need luck on your side. I think there's a big problem as well is is that so much of the higher educational system right now is just tailored to what's called student experience, where everything has to be just everything's for them. Everything is for them. The most important thing is the student feedback. The most important thing is the student experience. In a way, that, you can see... Is that happened more because they're paying now? Quite possibly. Yes. And the thing with that is, is that, you know, sometimes in the past where students might have been, like, kicked off the course for not submitting or other things, whatever, or might not have been passed and then dropped out, they're holding on a lot more, which mm. means, you know, everyone's, everyone's got a seat at the table forever. And the hard thing with that is, is when you hit the real world and the real world suddenly isn't capitulating to you you might get a bit freaked out because you're like, hey, wait, this is what, what, what I thought. And again, the amount of students I'd always taught where I had to explain to them like what freelancing was. Because again, it, it never, it didn't really come up. I don't know if, I always joke like, you know, the bakery on your street doesn't have a resident documentary photographer. Like it's all freelancing. That's what you've got to do. And I think, again, it's that, that hard thing. But you know, you know from studying now, I mean, I bet Dan, like, you know, you can see in your group like certain archetypes of certain photographers and you can feel like, you know, the ones who might have a really good shot at it. And they're the people who are just, they're already doing it. They were doing it before they started the course and you know they're going to be doing it after. 
Whereas I even have had good friends I met who, you know, studied art and they did fine art and you just knew they worked hard on their fine art during the degree. They didn't do it before and they didn't do it after. There's always that. That's the thing. It, it, it's the hard thing. I think the, the students who are going to make it are the ones who are doing it before and you know. Do you know, do do you know what percentage of students stay in a photography career after they leave their degree? I, would you think it's higher? What, 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 well, the thing is, man, it depends on wealth as again. If we're going back to class, like if you meet someone who's 30 and they tell you, oh, hi, I'm, I'm Ed, I'm a footballer, what would you think? If I said to you, hi, I'm Ed, I'm a footballer, oh, what do you do for a living? I'm a footballer. What would you, what would you assume? I think you're wealthy. Well, well, no, you might assume I'm a professional footballer, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, it's the same in photography. You meet someone in the 30s and say, oh, I'm a photographer. It doesn't necessarily mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's a tricky thing. Yeah. And that could be, I mean, my hardest lesson was when I found out Cartier-Bresson was freaking loaded. And then when I found out William Eggleston was loaded, it's like, holy shit, all these photographers who have idolized, like, this is a way to do it. It's like, well, it is if you own textile factories. Yeah, like, yeah, and you've got melty millions of pounds. Yeah, so and... again, it's a tricky one for you trying to get into freelancing, thinking, what works? How am I going to make a living? And I think that's something that... I think as photographers, you've got to be very astute on. Like, I'm pretty clear with everything, man. I'm clear on my website, like what my portfolios are and who I work for and what I try and do. I think other people, you know, I won't name a photographer, but there was one guy who's quite a good British documentary photographer and he spent like 15 years doing like kitten calendars and shit like that. And you'd never see that work because all the other stuff's really gritty documentary. Yeah. Well, that's, that's how he made his money, <laughs> I, right? Wrong with but, the that's, but seriously, but also at the same time, it's like, for me, it's like, you know, Malcolm X style, you've got to by any means necessary, man. Do you know what I mean? And that's why I think it's all, it's also good. I think it's good for your humility too. Like I said, I've never been mega successful. I've never been in the desert with a rock band. Like if someone asked me to shoot their four-year-old's birthday party, you know what? I'd love it. And I'd probably take some good photos. And I wouldn't be there thinking, damn, I wish I was with the rock band in the desert. Like I love photography. It doesn't matter to me about the other stuff. You might be the person to answer this, Ed. Is, is there anybody that's just made uh, a, an untold fortune in photography? I know there's been rich photographers, but is there anybody that's just absolutely crushed it and has made out like a fucking bandit? Yeah, well, obviously, right? It's not who you expect. So obviously, you know, Gursky, like the Rhine 2 or whatever, that yeah, famous like print sale for like millions and millions. Yeah. There's another guy who, again, it, it feels like just a professional con man, but there's another guy then beat him. And it's this cliched photo of this sort of rock formation in America somewhere of light beaming into a cave. And it's the shot that's on the tour that I've all the tourists yeah, take. And that guy, I can't remember how much... Jamie, pull it up. No. It was, it, was sold for, it was sold for a ridiculous amount of money. But then we get into weird art world stuff where, you know, there's some people who sell prints the way I sell prints, which is just like, let's say it's 600 quid. There's an addition of 12, each one's 600. And you get other people where it's like, yeah, a 600 quid print. Yeah, but oh, no, wait, I've sold half of them. Now they're grand. Oh, no, wait, I've sold nearly all of them. Now they're like 20 grand, you know? And they sort of, they play around with stuff like that. So I think... But then, yeah, that's a whole different world. And then if we're into the art world, like, what are you talking about here? You're talking about, like, freeze? You talk about art fairs? Like, and there's, there's a whole... Like, it's not art fairs, but commercial art fairs. And in, terms of, just... in terms of you as a photographer, have you ever done any art fairs? Have you ever gone that way? That's how I met my wife. Was it? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Talk and, to me uh, about art fairs. Right. Well, they're all very different. And again, like, what you... What we see as sort of Jeff Koons' top-end art freeze stuff that's one whole ball game for investment, for money laundering, for whatever's going on, right? But then there's the lower level art fairs where it's just nice, where it's people who live and they just go to an art fair to buy some art and it's what they call, say, you know, affordable art. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. nice too. And some of it can be atrocious, but it's also nice because you think the people who are buying that art, it's for, it's for them to live with. It's not to be bought and put in a vault somewhere or, you know, you know, so, so there's that side of it. But for me, man, like, 
my, my living has always been like little jobs here and there, a bigger job now and again, um, print sales, book sales, um, what else? You Teaching, too? lectures. I'm not monetized yet, Paul, but one day. But yeah, so it's... Well, let's get those, let's get those hours. But the thing is, is that you get the hours up. Watch all the videos. But the thing is, is that's the thing. My, my tip for any freelancer right now is like, you just got to do everything, man. And like, stuff will happen. And, you know, if you've got a down day, like my regret is I was obviously depressed when I was younger for quite a long period of time. And I'd have real trouble just leaving the flat. I just couldn't bring myself to do it. And... Uh, and obviously, like, yeah, that wasn't great. And even then, I was quite productive still, but I feel like I could have done more if I didn't have those dark days, you know? How, how did you get yourself out of that? Can I ask? Do you mind? Um, I'd set myself ridiculous projects, and before I know it, I'd be, like, agreeing to photograph, like, refugees in Lebanon, and I'm suddenly bricking it because I'm heading to the airport. You know Were what you mean? with like, your wife at that point? No. No, okay. So, um, so, yeah, it was, like, stuff where I just sort of get myself into a system. And I, I think it all began, really, when, when I was working on my MA, and I, I've managed that there was a family friend who I knew had a ranch in Texas and I'd been to photograph a wedding years before and it was easy being in Texas because if people met me I'd say I'm a photographer and I felt like I was a photographer whereas if someone met me in the UK and I said a photographer I'd feel I don't know man I, I found it harder to feel authentic whereas obviously that's ridiculous I've been photographing for seven years at that point but um it's Do just one of those know, things like how many how many times when I've been out photographing on a paid gig Somebody goes, so is this like a hobby of yours? Like, it's crazy. Yeah. People just assume that nobody does this for a living. Yeah, but also some of the sass is great. Like I was photographing at the Barbican for a, a series of, like, kind of controversial talks or whatever, and I was taking one of the speakers out to photograph, who was, like, this old dude and bobbly and whatever. And I was photographing him, and some guy some guy walked past and saw me photographing. and said, oh, photographing for GQ, are we? And I just quickly turned, because I, I felt that was a slur against the guy I was shooting, because he was quite an old and, you know... Cool. kind of trolly old dude and I just snapped back saying well you know yeah I, yeah I have worked for GQ which is true I've shot for GQ Italy and quick as a whip you know what he said well not anymore oh fuck <laughs> and it was just like the truth of the stranger the burn the quick burn so he got, oh, he got me good he got me good but yeah it's just one of those things man and uh, I just for me it felt bad because he's like it felt like he was taking the piss out of the guy I was photographing you know and I just I needed to say something and I thought just to sort of elevate by elevating my level it was like yeah well maybe I am a photographer I don't have photographer GQ maybe you know if you, if you hadn't been a photographer what do you think you would have done and said oh Christ well I was really into poetry when I was younger but I can't see that panning out um, but then when I was when I was younger, I had some of the skills and it was all emotion, but no knowledge. I think if I wrote poetry now, it'd be very different. But I don't think I would do poetry now. Do you ever think you'd put fo fo photos and poems together? I've been writing a lot more, yeah. is what I've been doing. But and, it's similar, isn't it, photography yeah, and poetry? There's like, a similar thing Yeah, but not, not poetry. I've been writing. There's two things I've been writing. One is a crazy photography book, which is absolutely crazy, which I don't know if I'm ever going to publish. I might destroy, I might publish under a fake name because it's so crazy. And the other thing is, it's this weird... Myth. Fact or fiction? Uh, yeah, let's just say fact. Okay, okay. And then the other thing I'm writing is this project idea I had like nearly 12 years ago that nearly pushed me over the edge. And uh, I thought I couldn't do it. And I thought if I did it, like the sky would fall. And I went to the place I was kind of scared of and I got to the doorway and there was no like demon, there was no dog, like I was fine. And obviously that was just me going through some sort of weird psychosis. So I, I've done, I've done, I photographed it last summer. It's all good. And now I've been writing this crazy mythology to go with it. Like I'd write, write in like a fictional essay thing. But again, with that, I don't know. I, I know you've touched on it a couple of times, mental health and photography. Yeah. But, but, but do you think photography is, a, for me, I think it's one of the most amazing vehicles to 
to help with mental health in terms of uh, it just it's just made me more empathetic i think it's made me care more about people i shouldn't care about like gene on the street you know yeah. it, it it's like normally and maybe through my teens i wasn't incredibly empathetic and a bit selfish and a bit you know a bit of a prick um but definitely through my 30s is it and really falling in love with photography and realizing um, the differences between, you know, street and documentary is, is a really good example in terms of candid and 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 an asked portrait and how those two things uh, are very similar, but also they're very different in a way. And but how each of them has has kind of that is. It's almost made me closer to the world. It's made me closer to other human beings. It's made me, you know, I, I, I've always thought, and this is probably just my ADHD, that I can go into a room of people, a group of people in any room, and I can tell you the people who are the ones who have the issues. And it's and also another, like, an ADHD it's everyone, thing. right? Everyone's got issues. And, We're all broken, right? But, you know, you can feel the ones who maybe more... And, and the, I don't know if this is... Like, it's just a weird thing, right? No, I know, man. Like, it sounds, I, it's, fucking, it sounds, it sounds absolutely crazy. I'm on the tube. I'm, in, I'm on the metro in New York. And it was at a point where I was probably at my most unstable... And it was probably 2002. And there was a boy, a young man, who was obviously homeless on the train opposite me, like sat opposite me on the train. And I could, I could, it sounds so nuts, right? I don't even know how to vocalise this. But like, let's say there was a screech or then someone said something weird in the carriage. I was at the point hearing it in a very negative, crazy, like the worst and the worst, I'd twist those words into the worst thing imaginable and it would make me shudder. And a moment happened like that, and I could see him react to it too. And I was like, holy fuck, man, like, whatever you're going through, I'm going through it as well, because the stimuli you're experiencing, I'm having the same outcome from that same stimuli. Like, Mad, isn't it? So I think that, I mean, what you said about, that's really cool, Paul, man. Like, I think I get that as well. I think my crazy thing with photography is it just taught, taught me to method act through fear. And I've gone from putting my, from being scared in just a normal environment to then being in a situation where, you know, people are threatening your life and to try and maintain calm. Not calm, which is also crazy. But then someone joked to me once, my old friend Neve, that she was like, you know, you're just anxious all the time. You'd be anxious if you were just on a room on your own, <laughs> let alone if there's crazy stuff. I, I, I mean, what, what, where's the most, I mean, I know you've photographed all, where have you felt most vulnerable then when you've been on, on, on a job? Where have you felt, oh my God? Oh, so it was the EDL, it was the Birmingham. I'd photographed them for three years. Um, I was jammed together with like maybe 2,000 of them shoulder to shoulder outside a pub. Um, it was the morning. It was a grey day. And this old guy was on his own, just turned. He saw my bronica and he just started swearing and shouting at me. I couldn't quite understand what he was saying, but now all the guys are looking at me and there's nowhere to go. And a crowd, normally I was good. I could melt out of the crowd, but this is before it began. I was shoulder to shoulder. And I just thinking on my feet, I just turned at him and I started shouting, who the fuck are you? You know, who the fuck are you? And I was like, I came up with the boys from Nunny and where the fuck are you from? Who are you with? And like I'd been at Nunny and previously photographing, and he knew a little bit about it, so I thought I could bullshit enough. But he was such a crazy person. I, I just thought, I'm going to push it back onto him, and thankfully it worked, and all the other people saw that he was being like a total wrong, and, and I was okay. But I've had a few situations like that where you're kind of cornered, and it all depends on what you say next. And if you say nothing, you're probably fucked. So then you have to just, you end up in this fight or flight mode. And I couldn't fly, I couldn't run. I was pinned in shoulder to shoulder by skin in, so it was, it was, that was it. But it worked, it worked. The next thing you know, I was on a bus with him, and then I was really bricking it because I was like, fuck. But anyway, so that was pretty hairy. That's real imposter syndrome. That is, that's like, yeah. you, you were an imposter, right? Yeah. But then the worst part of that was I'd shot the EDL for three years for this Dutch organization, Photodoc. 
I'd had enough that day. I hadn't. I don't normally get an adrenaline dump, but I went to take a portrait of this this EDL couple, and my my hands were shaking, and they saw it, and then I knew that I was fucked because they're like he's scared, and I'd given it up, you know. And uh, I was walking away. I was down a side street, just heading to a fucking Wagamama's just to eat, just to celebrate. I didn't have to do this shit anymore because every time, it, you know, it felt horrific and really stressful for me. And there's like, you know, maybe four or five British Asian lads were just running towards me with bats and bricks, just running straight at me. And I thought, fuck, you know, is this it? And, I, and the thing is, I, with the EDL shooting, I'd always wear like an old army jacket. I'd try and blend, blend in. in and bless them. They just ran past me. But it could have gone the other way. They could have seen me walking out of the crowd and be like, here's this guy, you know? So it's just one of those things. Um, Tense. Yeah, and that was the worst thing of the EDL was that, you know, the EDL were like, who the fuck is this guy? The anti-fascist people were like, you're a fucking EDL. The police were like, just fuck you all. So, yeah, I think I spoke about this before, actually. I think we've done we some podcasts. Yeah, before. but it's just one of those things. That was that was a tight one. Um, other moments, just, yeah, just random. Like, Texas was weird and that there were so many guns there. And as a young photographer, I mean, I went to America to film this year and I must say I didn't feel safe. I, I spent a lot of time running around Texas like 17 years ago and I felt fine. I was running around and whatever, but... Was that just the, the, the kind of ignorance of youth, do you think, maybe before? Oh, you know, possibly. And, you know, I grew up in lots of rural areas, so maybe I felt safer in a rural area and I was actually like in New York and, and, and Philadelphia. I was in bigger, more built-up areas. But no, I, I think the, the zeitgeist has changed in America so much. Like, I just feel like... I don't know, maybe it's just me, but it felt unstable. And it felt like a lot of people were... Like, I don't mind talking to a stranger, right? And being jovial. But like everyone was doing it. And it was just, everyone was just, it was just felt like crazy. Like, I don't know, man, it felt unnatural to me. Like, it felt like... Yeah, I mean, you've, you, you were there this year, man. Where were you? Where were you at when you were there? I was in California. Um, so this was what we spoke about on the last podcast. It's a beautiful segue. Uh, this is why I, this, I, I, I know, I know, and like I'm, I'm in awe. This is this is what a real presenter can do. Like I'm, I'm oh, obviously man, just like, <laughs> having one interview. One. <laughs> um, yeah, I was in California uh, photographing from the Homeless World Cup. We spoke about this briefly on the last episode, um, but I'm back now, and I've been back for a while. Absolutely incredible, life changing, like just brilliant. I met some amazing people. Um, amazing people that have struggled with addiction, that have struggled with homelessness, that are now... Um, are we all right? Are okay, we still good, recording? Sorry, yeah. I just, uh, yeah, we're good. Yeah, we're still good. Yeah, people that have just... They, they've had their battles, right? And now they've they've gone from people that you, you don't really see, right? You don't... Or if you do see them, you don't really see them. You just walk past them, right? Because they're sat in a fucking doorway or something. And now they're wearing their, their country's colours. They're athletes. But they're actually athletes. You know, I've got so many portraits of these amazing people that have a real story to tell that are now athletes. They've gone from, from whatever battles they've had to, to, to doing something really incredible. And, um, yeah, it was just absolutely amazing. Like, completely amazing. So yeah, Seeing the photos, man, I mean, just... just most wonderful kind of reportage moments. And obviously, like, the Americans anyway, like, that celebratory kind of spirit... But also at that event, it's just, you know, you must have just not known where. Yeah, you must have just been pointing the camera everywhere and it must have just been gold. That's what it felt like in the photos, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, America was just a backdrop, right? Uh, some of the most amazing people I met had never left their own country, 
right? There was it's the first the, time, right? The Welsh team, the yeah. Welsh team are amazing. Uh, the Irish team are amazing. I I'm, just it's just such a transformational event, right? And it's such a you've done it a lot, right? Yeah. How I, many years did you do? Three or four. Ooh, okay. I, That's I, how I got onto oh, it. So. Um, I can't remember whether or not we covered this in, in a previous Please. episode, but... Apologies um, if we have. I, I think, I kind of think we have, so we'll do the abridged version. Yeah. But basically, um, Paul and Roman have photographed the event in previous years. Um, so that's how I got hooked up with it. And it was completely amazing. It was everything they told me it would be. And for me, it's one of those things that, again, it's one of the, the joys of, of, of being a photographer is it takes you to those places where you would normally be. You would you never go there. You would you have no you know no reason to be there. And it puts you in this place, and it says, "This is the world that you're fucking living in." And and you know, and it just it, it just restores your faith in humanity. It's one of those things, and that's I know that's the cliche, but it does. You come out of it feeling a bit warm on the inside, like and 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 as as tiny as as a difference as the images that we take are making a minor minor difference in these people's lives i think it's more important that these kids have images so they remember that they were there i think that's the most important thing out right. of the, the whole thing right is I, to say i was there yeah. and and you know i exist basically and I, and the majority of the life they haven't existed and it's just it is it's, it's yeah you even get a little tingle because it it's it's not about you or it's not about the photos. It's not even about how good the photos are. It's actually... It's what's happening. Yeah, it's what's happening and how... how it's such an incredible thing. Like, I don't really like football at all, right, no, in, no, any way, in any way whatsoever. You know? And, and so... Oh, yeah. And you come away like thinking it's not about football either. It's about it's how not. sport can give people... Uh, it's not. I don't even think it's about sport. I think it's how a community mm. can change somebody's life. Um, how, yeah, you're right. It's how how these people are kind of going through something. They're going through something often, on and they've, their they've been through horrific things, right? Some of them have been through sexual I, abuse, I, yeah, physical abuse, dark, dark. I, I tell you what. In fact, instead of us trying to recount stories, go on the Homeless World Cup website right now if you're listening to it, because you know you, you haven't got to watch your podcast, right? Go onto the Homeless World Cup and just click on stories and just start going through stories. They they are amazing. Like there were, you, yeah. Just again, quick segue on the subject of uh, the sports and thing, and not really being into the sport. Are you still doing your recommends on this on, on your show? Do you do a little? Yeah, yeah. You do yeah. a recommend. Oh, okay. Yeah, let's let's save it. Let's okay. save let's I'll save just it. Have a segue for that. Go yeah, on. yeah. No shout outs. Let's let's do that at the end. Um, but yeah, let's cap off the homeless world cups. Yeah, literally go and read some of the stories because they are absolutely incredible, completely life changing stuff. I feel like I did some really good work. And it was one of the very, very few occasions where I've had people look at photos that I've made of them before and go like, like I can't believe you see me like that. But I literally had multiple people broke down in tears and was like, this is, like this, I've never seen myself like this. I had so many people do that to me. I literally lost count. Coming back to like the whole be kind thing, you know what, right? It's, it feels good to do good. Yeah, like altruism so is right. It feels good to do good, and yeah, that was yeah. it, Dan. You did good, and uh, you did good. And you know, you my, just 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 hitting back. I mean, this is going to go full circle, but I think it's a really good thing. Is that my wife? She says her biggest success for being successful is being kind. She said just caring about other people and showing that you care yeah. and doing what you say. And and I I think it comes back to it, it's like it does. It's like I think if you if you go out and I maybe I'm being a bit with with but I think there is a massive part of you treat people how you want to be treated, right? And and uh, 
we live in a world where there are a lot of penises out there. Um, but even when somebody's been a penis to you, if you can still remain fucking kind at your heart, I think that sometimes is incredibly difficult to do. That's just stoicism, isn't it, mate? That's yeah. what that is. But yeah, I totally agree. Like you, it's hard. What, what's that? Um, oh God, I'm going to fuck up the quote, but the essence of the quote is that basically you are the person that you act like when nobody's watching, right? When you're not trying to impress. put on a pretense mm-hmm. and, and impress people. Like we spoke about this earlier with portfolios, but I can't, I don't remember whether or not we were recording at that point. Right. Like, my, who my, are we trying to impress? Right? Yeah, my who wife joked, like when we first met, when like when she'd introduced me to her friends, I'd walk into a room, you know, not actually, but after we'd been married, I'd, because of my ADHD, I just spurt out that like I'm a photographer and I do this and I do it. She goes, just, she said, just listen, you don't even have to speak to say, oh, just take pictures, you're a freelancer. She said, leave it at that and full stop. <laughs> and I'm like, ah! Well, that sounds like pretty much all I do. <laughs> that's ADHD, boy. Yeah. that's what that is. Totally, totally. Um, shout outs. Shout outs. Let's, let's Ed, finish I'm going to pass the mic back to you because I'm going to awkward easy. The only reason I dove in, man, was Come that on. I've been watching, you said about the World, the Homeless World Cup and the way that you know, people have had battles and struggles and through sports today. I've watched the most amazing documentary series on Netflix about freaking wrestlers. Oh. And it's just like the, the WWE basically came in and destroyed all the independent wrestling organizations in America. Like only three survived. One's okay. The other one is like struggling to survive. And it's about this struggling to survive wrestling organization. And like, yeah, every all the wrestlers in it, man. Oh my God. And the thing is, is that normally of wrestling... You only see the character, mm-hmm. they're acting the heel, they're acting the baby face. But in this documentary, it's so intense because it's like, yeah, you know, you know, I was homeless, I was staying at places and the guy broke in and not only did he put a gun to my head, he put a gun to my, like, my three-year-old's head and just, it's a mad, it's mad as horrible as shit. And yet they're, they're doing this weird theatre performance yes, stuff it's... every night and I just thought, yeah, so if, you, if you've got Netflix, check out Wrestlers. It's like, I think like eight... Eight episodes, but yeah, it's pretty life affirming too. But sounds, it, sounds good. If, like even it. if you're not into wrestling, but I think particularly if you're not did, into did wrestling. Did you watch the one on freediving? Did you watch that one? No, uh, that's really. Oh, yeah, I did. Oh my, my god, god. Oh, like my god. that was that was upsetting. <laughs> it is upsetting. That upset me, and I I don't. I, it upset me the way the documentary is made. To yeah, mess me with too. You. Me that too. really pissed me off. Oh, no spoilers here, because obviously if someone's not seen it, but yeah, if you watch it, there's going to be a little thing and you're going to be like, oh, oh, you've made assumptions up until that point and it's cruel. I think it's cruel that they did that. Yeah, I think too. it's fair. I agree, I agree. Anyway. What's your shout-out this week then, Dan? Um, my shout-out this week is Seb Wildblood, um, Separation Anxiety. It's a record that I've recently started listening to. Uh, nice bit of house, mate. I've been listening nice. to a lot of EDM recently. <laughs> You don't you? <laughs> that's not yeah. it. You, you haven't got to listen to the record anymore. You just you die. 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 You 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 said the freediving one. You said oh, yeah, the freediving, exactly. The free, I like that freediving documentary. Yeah. It's been really... I haven't seen it. I haven't have, seen have you it. seen I've the beer? The beer. Yes. The beer. So, oh, my God. Can we talk about the beer really briefly? Is this cocaine bear? No, the beer on Disney is like... Uh, it's a series about a chef. Yeah, chef. And like, he's, 
yeah, he's got stuff. The way it's, it's filmed and Ooh. edited and the, it's, it's fluid and you, there's lots of conversations going on at the same time. They're talking over, keep talking, yeah, they're talking like, over yeah. each and other the whole time, like, it's like, stuff like this, talking over each other. amazing. It's like, it's, like, it's the best thing I've seen. Like, there's one, like, there's like one shot, right? And it's about 15 minutes long and he's talking and it's just, it's just how they... They make you feel like you're in the kitchen, right? It's really... Um, it's the, have you ever worked in, like... you ever worked in, like... I've worked in McDonald's. Right. Because yeah. my, my wife sort of worked in, like, kitchens like that, and she's like, yeah, that's how it is. Isn't it? Isn't like, it? it's intense. Yeah, the noise. The noise and the... The noise and the pressure and just the madness. And the multiple... And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, yeah. It's been in multiple places all at once, and it's like, ah. So my, I've got an office at the back of my garden. That's a funny story. And because my wife is a lawyer, we both we thought we'd have a desk each, you know, both have a desk. I only lasted about three weeks because after, after the third week, I just couldn't get over how, how she could manage so many different things at once. Like, she'd be on the phone, and they'd be typing something, she'd pick them in the documents, we'd go in from the document, and then I'm like, Ah, I couldn't, like, my brain was going, ah, I can't concentrate. <laughs> and the ability to multitask, you know, fuck, she, she's yeah. off the charts. I, but it feels like, you she's, know, I mean, she's obviously an incredible lady, right? That's, right, that's, but, that's what that is. That's, I just can't do that. But, you know, we, we recorded a YouTube show and this podcast yeah, in, in a like, day, in, a, in an afternoon. So yeah, we so can multitask. We can talk about us, boys. We can do it. Yeah. Um, so, I, Follow along on, Insta- on Instagram at Idle Hand Society. You can get Paul at paulbents.com. Dot, dot, no, it's Come. not. UK in it? <laughs> no, Paul- com. Com. No, like, it's com. No, with your Instagram handle. For oh, Paul Bents UK, yes. Yeah, Paul Bents UK. Yeah. And I'm going to pass over to Ed because he's got a YouTube channel uh, as well as all the other social media that you really need to keep up to date on. Um, it is amazing. Go buy his books. They're off. They're off Kickstarter now, right? They are. They're, they're real. They're, they're real. They're real. They're here. I got them. They're fucking cool. Um, I'm going to pass over to you, Ed, so you can give them the details for your YouTube channel. Um, yeah, everyone, please go subscribe. Well, thank you very much, Dan. Really nice. So yeah, and um, basically, I've started a YouTube channel. I think I've done like 20 episodes now. It's all about photography. It's called Pictures on My Mind. So if you go to YouTube, type Pictures on My Mind. What started it was I did like a 22 video about how I. Um, designed and made and self-published my zines, but it's the same process for my photo book. So basically I started off just sharing literally all the stuff that I'd wished someone had told me. So that was how it began. And then that was really like taken on board by people. And I had lots of people messaging me saying thank you and wanting to send me the zines they'd made with the guide. And I thought, well, hell man, I'll just do this every week. So it's a weekly show Fridays. There we go. Thank you. Okay. Right. I was going to say, see you again in two weeks, but like knowing us, it's probably not going to be two Two years, is it? Paul, can we make a commitment right now? I, I make a commitment to you. you. Okay, right. The commitment is that one day a month, we're going to catch up like this. I'll come to you, you come to me, yeah. whatever. And we'll get like a couple of episodes under our belt so that we've got some stuff that goes out. Yeah, have you noticed how easy this is possible for us to do? Because we can do this anywhere. We could do this. Anywhere. We could do this. And anywhere. it does, you know... I think it's more. I think it's more important myself. I don't know about you. Is to make the stuff than how good the quality of. Well, this we stuff. don't know how good quality this <laughs> yeah, is. So it. this is literally being recorded into an iPad this will be a off, good of test. A, off of a couple of Rode microphones. Ed's doing a documentary photography thing right now. It's incredible. Um, 
Yeah, um, let, let's see how this goes. Let's see how this uh, quality goes, because this is something we could probably do a lot more of. Yeah, different um, places. Different places. We're going to go to BOP, aren't we? We can, we can get a load of people at BOP. We're going to get a load of people at BOP. Should we try and get this out basically unedited? Yeah. Like, right now? Yeah. So you're hearing this at the end, but this is for us happening right now. Yeah. We're basically having a conversation. Um, yeah, let's just try and get this out as soon as possible, and then... When we go to, uh, I was going to say Birmingham. It's Bristol, right? Bristol. Bristol. When we go to Bristol, um, maybe we'll just run around like this and yeah. get loads of it. Right. Yeah. Anywho, hope everyone's good. Sorry it's been a while. We'll catch you again soon. Big love. Ciao. Bye.